0: We're going to be uh, titling this today as Nineveh's Fall. Um, just backing up, uh, what we saw last week is we've, um, we're have we finally in chapter 2, which um, if you guys know the pace of how I preach on Sunday, I'm a slow preacher, I can't believe we're actually in chapter 2 already, okay? Um, but if you guys remember when we looked at, um, we've seen that God was addressing uh, last time um, in Nahum chapter 1 verses 9 to 15, we saw that God addressed four different individuals, Okay, that I I titled this as a two-part message as last week is just Nahum in a nutshell or Cliff Notes version, right, um, with that. And today we're going to see the description. I titled it to today's message is Nineveh's Fall, okay. The description of the fall is more in details. Whereas I think how it, it works is when you look at Nahum, it, it began first with a big cosmic view. Um, I think the way to picture it is like you look at a picture of like your smartphone. You know how you could push your hand in and you zoom in more and you see more details? I think something similar like that is happening because in the first eight verses, it tells us that God one day will come down in a theophany or an appearance of God, and he's going to judge all the world. Now, of course, later on in other books, in the minor prophets, we're going to see that that second coming, that God coming down is, or, or correction, that God coming down to judge is going to be alluded, especially in Zechariah, is Christ himself as the Messiah, who's been pierced in light of Zechariah 12, verse 10, and that that's the second coming of Christ, okay? So that's more details later on. This is what I want to encourage you guys um, to really read and study the minor prophets, okay? To really read and study the minor prophets. I'm already thinking ahead that if, Lord willing, um, if, Lord willing, you know, um, if we, after this book, we go over apologetics, if, Lord willing, and if, um, after apologetics, I kind of want to do another minor prophets just because this is one of those books these are the books in the bible these 12 small books in the bible are so neglected and i think there's so much rich theology that i think some of it helps us to interpret so many things of messianic prophecies okay so i've been thinking about that um uh, in light of that okay so here we see when we look at this passage um we're going to see that it goes from god's general view of judgment then we see details Last week, we have looking for the last two weeks um, of just God's four address to four different people. You guys remember that message about how there's dif- four different kinds of you that's mentioned in verses 9 to 15. Now we're going to see in verses 1 to 10, it's going to be focusing on Nineveh's fall and it's going to be emphasizing even more historical details of how Nineveh fell, okay? So in light of this today, I actually have um, three points, okay? Three points we're going to be seeing today. We're going to see... Uh, Three focus of God's prophecy concerning Nineveh's fall So that we would desire deliverance And also um, destruction of the wicked Okay, let me say this again Um, Very similar to last time But we're going to see three uh, Correction, three focus of God's prophecy Concerning Nineveh's fall Okay, so that we would desire to see God's deliverance And also destruction of the wicked Okay Um, You might say, Jimmy, your purpose, if you have notes from last week, it sounds very similar. Um, But I think this one in chapter two is going to be, and even chapter three, it's going to be much more historically detailed. There's going to be much more historical details than in chapter one. Okay, in chapter one. Again, remember, Nahum chapter one begins first with future, that God's going to do these things. And then then it focuses on the present. Uh, or nearer future when Nahum was writing. Okay. So these are going to be the three points for tonight's message. Okay. These are the, we're going to have how many points? Three points. Okay. These are the three points for tonight's message. Okay. Um, point number one is we need to know it is ironic to prepare for God's attack. We need to know it is ironic to prepare for God's attack. This is based upon verses one. Okay, we need to know that it is ironic um, to prepare for God's attack. Okay, that's in verses one. Okay, um, then uh, point number two, we need to know the description of Nineveh of, of Nineveh. Okay, uh, we need to know the description of Nineveh. Before and after the fall, okay. This is a little bit long winded, long worded, okay. But we see in verses um, 3 to 10, okay. Um, point number um, 2 is we need to know its description of Nineveh before and after the fall, okay. Verses 3 to 10, okay, um, is what we see. Point number 2. And point number 3, we need to know the description of a ser- Oh, actually, correction. Uh, point number 3 is in verses 2. We need to know the blessing for Judah with Nineveh's fall, okay? Uh, we need to know the blessing for Judah with Nineveh's fall, okay? Um, if you notice, I kind of move things arrange a little bit um, differently than the text. The first point is based upon verses 1. Then the second point is the longest part, verses 3 to 10. And then I want to end with actually grace, which I think is based upon verses 2. Uh, that we need to know the blessing for Judah with Nineveh's fall, okay? So those are gonna be our three points for today. Uh, anyone need us to need me to repeat these three points again? Anyone? Or we're good. I said it slow enough. Okay. Um. So with this, let's look at this. And actually, for me, I I really enjoyed studying this today, just because um, as we're looking at more details, this makes me boost my faith because I see that God's word is fulfilled um, accurately to the way it is described. Okay. So this is a pretty amazing um prophecy that we're going to see here um also as well okay um and even uh, next week um we'll even see this even more okay so if you guys can uh let's look at point number 1 okay uh point number 1 we're going to see here okay is um point number 1 we're going to see is we need to know that it is ironic to prepare for God's attack okay Verses 1 opens up this way the one who scatters has come up against you. Keep watch over the fortress. Watch the road. Bind up the your waist. Summon all your strength. Okay? So the first one is I actually think um, it's pretty fascinating um, how God does this. Okay? Um, how this is structured um, is, is you know, first it first addresses, I think, Nineveh. And then later on it goes to Judah. And then afterward it, it focuses on the description of. Uh, Nineveh's destruction, okay, but here in the first point first point beginning of verses one um, Reading this. I think there's some questions that I had Okay, the question I had is looking at this is who is uh, and by the way some of your version might phrase things a little bit different um, my two question I had is Again, I feel whenever we read the minor prophets two questions you should ours or the first question you should always ask is who is talking and who is it talking about? And then that helps with filling in the rest of the details. And actually looking at the details help us answer that. Because if you get that all wrong, then it becomes all strange, okay? So the first one is, who is this one that's called the one who scatters, okay? Uh, and then my next question in light of this is, who is you? By the way, some of your version, does your version, some of your version, does this say, you know how it says against you? Some of your version, does this say you're, uh, against your face? I'm just curious. Any version Says your face Okay Mrs. Byrne And you're Mrs. Byrne You're using the um, Amplified Correct Okay So that's the Amplified Okay um, So we see here That's the um, uh, That's uh, uh, Where literally In the Hebrew It's your face That's talking about God is going against You directly Like towards your face Which is very Confrontational In the Hebrew I think the one That's talking about Here Who's the one I actually think It is God Okay um, the reason why I think it is God is because remember in Nahum chapter 1, verses 2 to 8, it describes how God comes down to judge, right? And he's judging all enemies. And he's described in very detailed ways as his attributes. If you guys remember, we saw his various attributes, like five attributes of God that makes him have to judge Nineveh and the sins of all the enemies of God, right? So it'd be kind of weird. It'd be al- almost anticlimactic if this is God. Then all of a sudden, the one here is someone else that is not God. I actually think it is God. But also, if you look with me in Nahum chapter one verse fourteen, which is right um two verses before chapter two verse one, do you remember where it says the Lord has issued command concerning you? Your name will be no longer be perpetrated. I'll cut off your idols and image from the house of your gods. I prepare your grave for you are contemptible. God makes it very clear He's going to destroy Nineveh. Okay, He's going to destroy Nineveh, and He's going to destroy the king of Nineveh in verse fourteen. So in light of this, in light of verses fourteen, I think in the flow of this, this one who's doing this action here is actually God, okay? And then the question in is who is this you that he's doing action with? And remember how I mentioned earlier in Hebrew compared to English, um, in different language, how we write you is very different, right? I know um, Hui was talking to me even um, this past week about how in Chinese, in in Mandarin, the you is there's no. Feminine or masculine, right? It's just ni, which is, uh, they have plural ni-men, right? But it does not have um, masculine or, or or feminine, okay? Just kind of like how English is. But English is, is you it could be so generic. There's not even a singular or plural. But in Hebrew, it's specified in gender of male or female. And also in terms of mas- uh, uh, singular, that is one, or more than one plural, okay? So in so I think paying attention to pronouns is so so important. Okay, over the scripture in verses fourteen, the you here or your face. Some of your version that your part here literally is actually feminine singular, <coughs> and I actually think this is describing Nineveh. Um, cities are often and countries sometimes are described as feminine um, singular, like Judah earlier, or also city here. Okay, this is obviously not t- t- describing Judah because whatever this. Feminine, singular is, its destruction is going to be a blessing to Judah. Because in verse 2, as we end in our third point tonight, you see, because of this city being destroyed, or whoever this female is destroyed, therefore, God would then allow the opportunity for God to be able to bless Jacob or Israel, also specifically, okay, in verse 2. So by process of elimination, I think this is talking definitely about the city of Nineveh. Okay, so here in point number one, we see we need to know it's ironic to prepare uh, for God's attack. Okay, and what I mean by this is, um, and I think this is relevant because in our day and age, people often think they are what more powerful than God and mocking. Okay, in fact, even today, in the middle of preparing for things, there was someone on Facebook that tagged me in another um, discussion we showing like, hey, look at this person He's attacking the presuppositional apologetics argument And this person is saying, oh, you know what? Your God is weaker than any atheist And I was thinking, man, that's kind of bold to say Like, wow, okay um, But here we want to see this point drive home We need to know it is ironic to prepare for God's attack, okay? So God takes two actions here in verses <coughs> 1 um, God takes two action here, and then we're going to see because God takes two action. There's four commands to the people in Nineveh, specifically. I think it's the army, the soldiers of Nineveh, to do these things. Okay, so two actions of God in verses one. How many action, guys? Two. Okay, two actions of God. Okay, the first action it says is come up against. Okay, I think that's the main verb. Okay, I know in our English, it probably your version has the word scatter first. It says something, the one who scatters, at least in the ASB, the one who scatters has come up against you, okay? I translate this as, um, the the main verb actually here is God, being the one here that's mentioned, have come up against. And this is the main verb of the sentence, this is the source of everything else here, okay? Um, The action of even God's enemies, okay? And this verse, when it says come up against, is often a military term. Okay, Um, and why does God use a military term? Remember, this is Assyria who worship their own power of their own city, the power of their own military, right? They celebrate that. It almost becomes even idolatrous in how much they think they're very powerful, okay? So here, God uses a military term, come up against. We see this in other places used as a military term, okay? Um, And God's using this specifically is to what? Is to let them understand in terms that they would understand, like in military ways, that God is opposing them militarily as imagery. Um, if you guys can, let's turn real quick to Joshua 22, verse 12. I want to show you this verb in terms of verb usage is often to convey this message of God going against, or, or this verb is often used to show going against someone militarily, okay? If you guys can, turn with me to Joshua 22, verse 12. Joshua 22, verse 12. Uh, Joshua 22, verse 12. Um, If I could have uh, Rebecca, would you be able to be my happy, motivated reader? And read for us in big girl voice, Joshua 22, verse 12. Okay, Joshua 22, verse 12. The next one will be Abigail, okay? Joshua 22, verse 12. When the sons of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel gathered themselves at Shiloh to go up against the them in war yeah okay so in the context where you see notice it mentioned about the gathering themselves up to go up against you know we could translate the same way to come up against them okay in military terms um abigail could you also come up and read for us joshua 22 verse 33 again why we're looking at this is i want to emphasize there's a strong military term with this okay joshua 22 verse um joshua 22 verse 33 would you be uh, my reader you could come up closer, so people could hear you. So the theme pleased the children of Israel and the children of Israel blessed God, and they spoke no more of going against them in battle to destroy the land where the children of Reuben and Gad. dwelt. Okay. Thank you so much. Where well, you guys see the translation, um, go up going up against it shows what this term military term of God going and opposing, uh, or, or anyone using this is militarily opposing someone. And God used that same imagery to refer to how God's action is. He's going to go against Nineveh, okay? So that's the first action, okay? Could you have a good attitude, my lady? Okay, we're still having a Bible study, okay? Let's go on to uh, the second action. If you guys could turn back with me real quick to uh, Nahum chapter 1. Correction, Nahum chapter 2, verse 1. Okay, Nahum chapter 2, verse 1. If you guys could uh, turn... With me there The second action I think this is fascinating In verses 1 It says what? The one who scatters Okay? Now in scatter uh, It's a participle I think it's trying to Support the idea of like How does God go against uh, Militarily Against Nineveh I think the participle here Is indicating The manner Of how he does it Is by scattering them Okay? Now this is a fascinating term Because this word I think um, I actually think Nahum Among some of the minor prophets Even though it's such a small book I mean it's just three chapters right um, There's only so much amount of words that's in there But yet in the same time I think there's there's so many words it uses That is pregnant in meaning What I mean by that is It's picking words very specifically That echoes other parts of the Bible earlier Okay, When you think about the Old Testament Is there any part in Old Testament history That we know where God famously scatters people Anyway, You guys could unmute. I mentioned. Where any famous moment where God scatters people in Old Testament history? Babylonian captivity. Yes. Thank you, Mrs. Burton, And also, I think uh, Kike said that, too. Um, I don't know where my... Okay. Sorry, I couldn't find my um, messages. Okay, yeah, so... Yeah Tower of Babel, okay, um, with that, okay? So actually exactly what you guys said, because this word "scatter" appears in Genesis 10 um, to 11, that story of the Tower of Babel. It's used specifically to refer to God's judgment. Um, if you guys could turn real, real quick with me, the same Hebrew word appears in Genesis chapter 11 verse four, okay? If you guys could turn with me to Genesis 11 verse four. Uh, Genesis 11 verse four. Hannah, could you be my happy motivated reader to come read for us? With a joyful face. Josh, uh, Genesis 11, verse 4. Okay. Uh, Genesis 11, verse 4. Should we read this verse, my lady? Wait. Verse here. They said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose, a to- top. whose top will reach into heaven, and let us make a, for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be a, say, Scatter. sa- scattered up a, abroad. abroad over the face of the wild earth. Whole, no, uh, whole earth. Okay. Okay. She showed some stickers. Okay. Okay. <laughs> she already showed. Okay. okay. The girls like to hover near the side but not be in the actual camera sometimes. Um, so going back on uh, with this, is notice here God says, um, correction, correction, Babylon, the people that were trying to build a tower were saying, let's build a tower so God will never be able to scatter us, okay? Using that same Hebrew verb, of course God does in verses 8, using that same verb, it says, so the Lord scattered them abroad from there. Over the face of the whole earth and they stopped building the city. Okay. So um in in looking at this verb, okay, and looking at this, you know what I think is so amazing is God uses this specific verb is to make us think of the last time most of us would know of old testament history where God judged not just only Israel, but the nations or Gentiles is in Genesis chapter ten, eleven with the action of scatter. So if you guys could go back with me to Nahum chapter one or chapter correction, Nahum chapter two verse one. When it says the one who scattered We could think of like, oh yeah God at one point scattered the nations And here I think there is a rich irony Because God scatters um, the Nineveh And actually even the story of how Nineveh came about um, I know we just turned away from there But I'm going to summarize real quick If you take notes We're not going to turn there for the sake of time But in Genesis 10 verses 8 to 12 Is actually the first reference to Nineveh The city of Nineveh I actually think the first uh, the reference to Nineveh Why Nineveh was constructed was because by a man named Nimrod, who was very strong and powerful, was after the Babylonian, um, the Tower of Babel, when the people were scattered. Then when the people were scattered with different tongues, speaking different languages, some of the people, the strong one with Nimrod, built a city called Nineveh. And ironically, the city that was built after the Tower of Babel because the people scattered, now God's using that same verb of judgment, scattered, to say, you know what, Nineveh, you yourself will be judged by God. I'm going to scatter you as a city and its inhabitants all over. Okay, So this is the two action God says He will do. He's going to be what? judging. Um, he's going to be coming militarily against Nineveh uh, as one verb. And the second verb is He's going to scatter them. Now, because of this action he's being scattered, then there's now going to be four commands. Four commands to the military in Nineveh, okay? To the soldiers or, or, or members of the military guarding Nineveh. These are the four action, you know, four actions, okay? Because um, verses one, if you guys turn back with me in Nahum chapter, hopefully you guys are in Nahum chapter two, verse one, look at this action, these four actions, okay? I think the first two of the command, of actions, what to tell the city to do, or the military, the guards, if you will, is these verse two actions, I think you could group them together in verse one, is they were to watch for enemies afar. The first two, as a doublet, is telling us to say, hey, those in Nineveh, you guards, you in the military, these are the things you're to do. The first command is it says, keep watch over the fortress. This is you're in the watch, you're doing guard duty, okay? You're doing guard duty, um, Anyone that's been in the military know that everywhere the military goes, there's always guys that are going to be doing what? Guard duty, okay? Guard duty, okay? So it says, keep watch over the fortress. But it's not just watching the fortress. It's being in the fortress wall and watching afar. Because notice the second action. The second command is watch the road. Watch a distant road to find for enemies, okay? Look afar. And back then in the day, how do you tell there's an enemy coming? Back in the day when there's no binoculars and all those things? This is what he look for. You look for a whole bunch of clouds of dust. okay? Clouds of dirt and dust. That's when you know, okay, there's an invading army coming over. So he's telling them, hey, watch out. And by the way, they're watching out. They're told to watch out for the one who scatters them and the one who will go military against them. In other words, watch out for God that's going to go against them. okay? And notice the last two commands in verses 1 for these is now involves the individual soldier's preparation. Involves the individual soldier's preparation. Notice the third command says what? Bind up your waist. This is like saying, you know, is putting everything in your belt, making sure everything's wrapped up, that you're ready to go. You're ready for what? For action, okay? You guys realize um, the fact that people wear pants is not a common phenomenon uh, throughout history, okay? Um, The invention of pants and Levi's and all those things is incredible, okay? Um, So back then, people's clothes... Go ahead. Oh yeah, no, yeah, just fairly recent though, because they used to have, yeah. Okay. I thought you were gonna say kilts. Okay, but that's another. But you get the idea. Yeah. Uh, okay? Yeah. So this is where you wrap all things around as a belt. Okay, in preparation to be mobile. Okay, to to fight this war. Okay, battle. So now the individual soldiers of say, bind up your waist, put all these things, wrap it all around. Don't have all these uh things hanging out. I know when I was in the military, um, you know. You know, like when we pack, sometimes the guys you have to watch out for is guys that pack their gear but they didn't pack it tight Where you see all these dangling 550 cords and and all the packs things, all these things all over the place And we'd always say, hey man, that's a danger, like you gotta pack your battle rattle tight In other words, you know, so it's not you're going through a room and then you also, oh, you got, you know, held because, you know, something got caught, right uh, and that happens all the time. You want to wrap everything down and, and tape it. You know, you, you you tape everything. I know Nathan's, uh, uh, Mandy's husband was in the military. You know, she was telling me um, when she was came over a five fifty cord. I've not heard that term in so long. It brought back memories. It also brought back memory for me of what we call in the Marine Corps recruit tapes. Everything is we tape everything up. Everything you have bind you just tape it all up so nothing falls down. No, no extra p- parts get. Accidentally caught When you're clearing rooms Or anything else like that And, and for me as a radio operator I'm always a- afraid of my um, antenna Getting caught on something Right Because it happens all the time You're walking but, oh you clear a room And, and you know a Three feet antenna Five feet antenna Ten feet antenna It's always something You watch out for Okay So here we see It's saying Bind up your waist Then it says Summon all your strength Gather all, all your strength Get ready for all of this And you know what With this command it's, They're quite ironic Because why with all their command, watching, you know, the road, being at the fortress, being on the ready, binding up their ways and being physically strong, you know, getting being physically strong in whatever way, lifting weights, whatever else, pumping themselves up. Oh, could they stop God? The answer is no. I think there's a sense where there's a mockery. Okay. Now, if you read this without knowing anything of the Syrians, and I actually encourage you guys to actually go online. Some of these Assyrian things, um, some of you could find free translations. Now it's probably good to pay for a critical edition, but but some of these older translation I think you get the gist. Um of, of it where these guys are very prideful okay so before you think wow god is just mocking is God's this is the proportion of their sin they're bragging about how powerful it is don't you remember even last week we saw a portion where even sennacherib sends a messenger and says what hey you know what you guys should surrender to me because no gods of any countries is able will stop me what makes you think your god is different right there's this mockery right there's this challenge you're going down this gauntlet and guess what happened we see here very clearly god is doing this to the proportion of their sin Okay, so as application, I think we need to realize when there are mockers and there are people that would mock God, there's people that mocks Christianity, and the crazy part in our world today, the media loves to hype things up bigger than it is, true or not. So in this world where there's a lot of mockery, I think we should be comforted, and I think we can draw the right application to be comforted, that God would not be mocked, that God even mocks those against Him, and those that goes against Him, they're... Rebellion is futile I think it is appropriate Because remember the name of Nahum is what? Comforted We should be comforted I know sometimes I think we live in a day and age in the West Where everything could be so politically correct Everything is so sanitized Everything is you know so airbrushed and Everything has to be all rated PG For politically correct goodness, right? That sometimes we can miss this That biblically God is very clear that the opponents of God Will be destroyed I think as an application um, Do you guys remember about like Probably 10-15 years ago um, people made a big deal The media, Time Magazine, you know All those big Time Magazine, Newsweek Where every every time around Christmas Every time around Easter What do they do? They release an issue where they mock and say oh, We're putting doubt in Christianity You guys remember those days? Mm-hmm. And one of the things they used to promote Are the people called the Brights Do you guys remember this? Benjamin <laughs> w- What are the Brights? What? Actually I'm thinking uh, Were they the ones that kind of, were kind of related to Gnostics? Did they sort of come out of the Gnostics a little bit? Um, Or they're also known as the New Atheists. Do you guys remember anything about the New Atheists? Anyone? Oh, the ones... Yeah, when when they always come out of an article or something that says, oh, we found all these things that disprove Christianity, but most of it's actually old stuff that's been... Exactly, it, it was basically time. old atheism repackaged mm-hmm. by, and it's a lot of it was hyped because of the media. They're saying they had the four horsemen against God. Do you guys remember? Any of you guys remember this? Uh, Kike, for apologetics Anyone know who, who the four horsemen were? Was, uh, Richard, 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 Dawkins? was Richard Dawkins? Yeah. Um, uh, Christopher Hitchens. Uh, Sam Harris. Sam uh, Harris. Okay. Hitchens and uh, I forgot the last one. I don't remember. I think. uh William Den Den, I think was the other one. Okay, so those four horsemen, these four big atheists, I supposedly, which to me is really a denomination of atheism to me. If you ask me, rebranded to be like hipster atheism. Okay, uh, but super more confident than like the old school atheists. And you know, Christopher Hitchens was one of them. And if you guys know, he passed away. And if you guys ever, you could probably look this up on YouTube if you Google it. Before he passed away, he actually was making all these explanations. He was like, just in case when I am. You know, he had cancer or something like that. Just, and he was making these videos of saying, just in case I die I convert, realize I'm not in my best neurological state. He was making, when I was, remember watching all this, I remember thinking, boy, he went so far. Like he wasn't even sure that he, the possibility of him being scared or whatever, converting and trusting and believing God, I think shows a good example of this point that we see in point number one. That sometimes people think they're so prepared to face a war against God. But then they were so afraid because before that, there was another big atheist that right before he passed away said he now believes in God named Anthony Flew. And they were very mean towards him, other atheists. Man, there's no love among atheists, okay? In fact, actually, if you think Christianity and the church has really bad abuse, cycle man, don't ever show up to an atheist conference, right? Man, even the time when I was in college showing up to the atheist club, man, those guys were more cringe-like than any... Religious belonging, you know, I would go to a Catholic church oh. with all their abuse, more than I would ever visit there because there was just so much cringe, right, um, that there is like, man, don't ever bring a sister in Christ because their level of immaturity, I mean, these guys were, if I could, with all proverbial mockery with them, you know, these guys were the, you know, village atheists in the sense of what, living in mom's basement, they, you know, major in some weak Gender study or whatever else Mocking God Not hard sciences Not hard social sciences And all it is Is all this Is to say Hey guess what Don't mock and go against God Be comforted That God will stand strong Enemies of God will come and go Repackage Remodel and everything else But I think in the end um, God Will Be triumphant Against it all Intellectual or otherwise Okay Let's go to point number two Which is really the meat Um of our section is point number two is we need to know the description of Nineveh before and after the fall, okay verses three to ten is really the meat of our section today okay and I have verses two if you wonder why Jimmy you're going out of order is I want to end verse two because that's about grace I want to end the message in a note of God's grace okay so point number two we need to know the description of Nineveh before and after the fall, okay. Um, Verses 3 to 10 is this section here And actually just looking at verses 3 to 10 The summary view of all this Is it seems to focus a lot before the fall And the consequences of after the fall Okay It seems to be that's more the focus And I actually think later on when we go to chapter 3 You're going to see in much more details Of the actual fall itself That day when Nineveh falls Okay But here it seems to be focusing on Right before the, the armies have arrived and then afterward the consequence and i think why it's doing this is to build up climatically when we get to chapter three when we see these descriptions and the mockery of god of even the enemy of nineveh is to build up with this okay so this is in other words showing the before the fall leading up with the gallops of the chariots and then okay the consequence with the juicy detail so to speak in chapter three okay with that so here, when we look at chapter here, while it is the enemy of Nineveh, certainly God. I actually think in Nahum chapter two, it does kind of show like this point of like how Calvinism say that there's often two causes, right? That God is the one that could ordain things, but God sometimes use secondary means of other people, um, both bad people and good people, to accomplish His ends. Right? Does that make sense? Um, where God can control and arrange certain things because it's very clear God says I'm the one who scatters, right? Or, or He's the one that opposes them, but still God uses human means, and sometimes with these human means He also uses what even sinful nations. Okay, so when you see here, you see actually the way I broke down in verses three to ten. How I break this down is you see the description of the invading enemies of Nineveh in verses three to four. The description of invading enemies of Nineveh in verses 3 to 4. Then in verses 5 to 10, you see the invasion effects. Okay, invasion effects. It dwells more on the effect of the fall of Nineveh, more than even the enemies. But you get kind of a scene of the enemies of Nineveh in verses 3 to 4. Okay, verses 3 to 4. And actually, uh, w- w- one of the things I noticed here in this section, in verses 3 to 10, is every verse is a different scene. It shows different things. Have you guys ever watched some action movies where it shows one scene after another, right? One thing after another. There's so much action packed, right? Um, sometimes slow moments you can see that it's just one long what moment where they're dialoguing Then if you see some movies, you know I'm not the guy I watch a lot of movies. Um, you know, like I know there's all those Marvel movies. I just barely finish. Uh, um, what's that movie? Um, Avengers Civil War. That's how slow I am. Okay, it takes me t- a decade of watching movies I want to watch. That's just the rate I am. But also, I didn't want to be a guy that watched movies all day. That's kind of bad for a pastor, right? To be a guy who watched a movie and then there was no preparation, right? But going back on each verse, and in, I think that's the same way to think about each action sequence of it shows what the 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 drama, the the um, the intensity of the action, right? Um, piling verb upon verb in different scene upon scenes. Okay, you see in verses three to four. While God is the one that's causing all this, He brings now humanly a human army, another nation to invade. Notice the description the army in verses three. The description of the army. It says the shield of his warriors are dyed red. Their warriors are dressed in scarlet. The chariots are filled with flashing steel when he is prepared to march, and the Jupiter spears are brandished. There's a lot of it's a lot of scene of like if you picture this as a movie clip. It shows, boom, real quick A quick scene of, boom, you see If you picture this, you know how there's movie trailers Think of it as a movie trailer You know, coming summer 2021, whatever, right Boom, it just shows a scene of the shields are dyed red, okay Then the next, boom, the next scene Is you see the warriors are dressed in what? Scarlet, okay In a purple kind of color Boom, the next scene is what? Chariots are fitted with flashing steel, right You see just a, you know, glimmer of a little shining part of the steel that makes up the chariots boom then the next scene is what you see soldiers are marching okay and then boom the next thing shows the spear and the wood it's made out of okay jupiter spears um some of your version might even say um i think some of your version says uh, made out of cypress okay like good quality wood okay and it's being brandished it's being pulled out ready for action so looking at these things in all details this, um, one commentary I read said the shields being red might indicate that it's made out of leather, okay? because back then they would sometimes have these things that also you know besides the wood, they put it in leather because as the fire comes over an the enemy, they'll cover it, then the leather kind of helps protect it from the fire um, with that, okay then instead of the wood being caught on fire, okay, and because they don't want to make it too heavy with metal because it's expensive, but also because um, part of it will be so heavy. So they usually make it out of wood and then put leather covering, okay? And then they dyed it with red, okay? They would dye it with red. And also here, it also mentioned the soldiers also dressed in scarlet. Um, Do you guys think red is a common color people wear back then? Some of you guys, if you guys know anything, is it's often used for king and royalty. It's a royal color. Yeah, it's a royal color, okay? Um, In my other studies of of scarlet... um, uh, most of the sources where they get that is actually from um, s- snails in the sea where they 'd crush a whole bunch of it to get that red dye, so it 's often very expensive and when the commentators has made this observation of saying like this might not be the whole Babylonian army where the same color because that 's kind of expensive to feel, but this might have been their elites okay <laughs> now i 'm not condoning any r rated movies out there, but there 's a movie out there called The Three Hundred based upon um, if you guys know the history of the Spartans, right? And they're all, dre- you know, that crazy movie, you see the trailers, like this is Sparta, or whatever else, all that, right? And they're all dressed in this red part. So this might have been their elites, okay? They're like the cream of the crop, okay? I don't know how to say it. Like they're, um, this might have been the Babylonian Rangers, okay? Um, uh, like if we could use this, okay? Um, you know, by the way, you guys know that I'm amazed that today's world, kids that join the military could... Know anything and everything by what watching YouTube videos, right? This is how ignorant I was joining the military I did not know what Rangers were but I know that when I was joining going to Iraq one of the guys in our unit He was allowed to go to airborne school and he got in a fight with these guys because he told them "Oh, Rangers Are they like Army are they like the Marines of the army and the Rangers and their new guys who were so offended They got in the big fight and then he came back, and supposedly he won. I don't know. They bucked him down to, from corporal all the way to, to private. And I remember thinking, wow, this guy looks so salty. He looks like he's been in for a while. His uniform is just so faded. But why is he a private? And they was oh, show respect for Watkins, because that guy fought with some rangers and won. I don't know if it's true or not, according to you know, his version, okay? But anyways, picture this. These guys were the rangers, right, of the Babylonians. They're invading. Even the way they're dressed is what all like tier one thing, so to speak. Okay, And they're coming over with the best of weapons, right? All these things. This is a glimpse of their enemy. I think their color here is because we kind of missed the context today. um, I think it actually indicates they were Babylonians. There's a prophecy here that the Babylonians would be the one that's destroyed. And I think there's something where the Babylonians color, so to speak if there were to be a gang, their color would be scarlet, okay? If they were to throw gang signs and gang uh, colors, theirs would be scarlet uh, or red. Because if you look with me real quick in Ezekiel 23 verse 14, Ezekiel 23 verse 14 says this, okay? I'm going to go through the whole details. I'm going to read this real quick. It says, so she increased her obscene practices and she saw men carve on the wall images of the Chaldeans. Chaldeans is actually a name for the babylonians actually to be very technical in history we call them neo-babylonians okay and they're drawn in bright red Do you guys see that again using this in terms of our modern you know contemporary relevance if they had a gang color theirs would be what red okay is a color representing the country you guys realize every country has different colors what well, ours is what red white and blue um, but if you ever go to Europe, you discover, man, there's a like, country with colors of red, white, and blue. I always get co- confused with colors. You guys know the tricolors of like red, white, and blue? I always get mixed up with the French and the Italians and all the other. Because it's just like, man, there's just three lines. Right? And then you're like, oh man, my ignorance is American. But go back on. We see their color is red uh, or scarlet. Clearly the prophecy here is indicating very detailed fulfillment that it is actually the Babylonians who would come. And destroy, Nineveh, and then the description of the attack itself is in verses four. Notice it describes the chariots drive wildly in the streets. They rushed around in the public squares. They appeared, uh, their appearances like torches. They drive back and forth like lightning flashes. You know what's incredible? This description is it mentioned here that what did the Babylonians bring? Chariots, and chariots was almost like the equivalent. Of main battle tanks for today, okay like main battle tanks, right um, main battle tanks does every country have have main battle tanks or a lot of it? not necessarily, right um, the picture this is like their version of their m one abrams of their day and age, okay um, by the way, the Marine Corps, if you guys know anything about the news, have gotten rid of all their tanks. <laughs> I don't know if that's the best thing um, in the world. Um, I remember the few time when I was in Iraq whenever we see a tank, whenever they call like you know as much as marine grunts like to talk about oh we're number one, you should see how marine grunts when they see tanks they're like jumping up and down like little boys. Yay, we were so happy to see that. I remember even Jin has a story about during an invasion. they called it in a tank, and the tank were like seen. And they thought, oh, this is the one we called for And the tanks were like, hey, how come these guys are all cheering And then they wave, and they drove away And they're, no, 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 we need you And then another tank platoon, pl- the same thing, and they just drove by, right And they're like, no, we were trying to call you And they're like, oh, okay, I guess we still have to handle this ourselves, right This is the show With this, the chariots was not a force that would use it very much. This would be the prime This would be in their, their, what? their pride of their country and notice, I love this detail. It mentioned about the tr- uh, chariots driving wildly in the streets of Nineveh. By the way, do you guys notice the geographical move? This is incredible. It starts first from afar, look afar from an enemy on a distant road. Now it gets closer, and now the chariots are entering into Nineveh itself. You know what I find so amazing about this detail? Because because some people could read Nineveh, Nahum and say, "Well, of course." People just wrote after the fact it's destroyed. All of these details, right? But you know what's so fascinating? is It described chariots entering in the streets wildly. Which indicates what? The streets of Nineveh is pretty big, right? Let's put this in this context. You guys realize every city, street, even in America, are not the same size. Even in LA County. If I could give this an analogy for those of you guys that are in Southern California. Are the streets... By the way, each city street is different quality, okay, and this distance. How many of you guys, for those of you guys in Southern California, have ever seen the streets in Irvine, which is more affluent, okay? Irvine, okay. yeah, Irvine street, better than, better than LA. <laughs> yeah, way better, right? And by the way, it's you know, if you're a new driver, man, I, you know, I, I was thinking, if I'm still in Southern California in the future, if I still am, Lord willing or whatever else, okay, man, if I'm gonna teach my daughter to drive, you know, what I'm gonna take him to. I'm gonna drive all the way to Irvine because the streets are so big, right? Like it's not, you're not driving barely. Okay, I need to avoid this car, you know, parked here. It's going to The street is so big. Now, every city has different kinds of street. Okay. The streets apparently of Nineveh, because after Nineveh was destroyed, no one was in Nineveh for thousands of years. Okay. And by the way, having been in Babylon, I have saw the streets. It's not as big enough as those. I've never been to Syria. But according to archaeologists, their streets were very, very wide. Okay, their street was very, very wide. Just to put in perspective, okay, their city walls was so big. It's about fifteen meters thick. Okay, their uh, their um, road was so uh, was also um, was also very wide. Oh, I don't have the figures with me right now. Okay, um, if I'm reading this correctly, it's about five to seven meters. Right, I mean, and that's pretty wide. Okay, that it makes sense that. Chariots would, could go around there Compared to the Babylonians And that's amazing That after all these destruction To know so much details In the book of Nahum I think that shows if The details is so exacting Of this Because Nineveh brag about it Being a big city So they built the world It's really big Picture the size of something like Irvine Okay For those that are local In Southern California And notice the description Of this attack Right they're, they're, It's so wide enough That the chariots could drive around wildly There's enough maneuver space Okay and then the main focus, though, is on, oh man, for the sake of time, um, the invasion effects is in, in verses 5 to 10. There's actually six effects that is mentioned. So it glimpse the army invading it doesn't describe the carnage of the battle itself, but then it shows the effects. I think it's building up for, for next time, Nahum 3, more of the details. But the first effect is in verses 5. You see chaos for the Assyrian military. It says, He remembered his officers. They stumbled in their advance. They hurried to her wall, and the manlet is set up. Okay? Um, as we look at next week, I actually think next week we'll see, or, or, or next time when we, when we get to Nahum 3, I actually think their soldiers were drunk. But uh, literally drinking and night watch duty from the ways of destruction as we go over next week. Um, that's why it says they stumble in their advance, right? The reason why they're stumbling is because they're drunk as we look at next week. Where now Assyria. King Is remembering his officers And yet what They're hurrying to a wall And they're all In other words It's showing What's going on here Is their chaos Within their Military rank And that actually Fits the description Of the night When it was destroyed Okay They were Described according to Babylonian chronicles That they were what They were actually drunk Having a feast Celebrating Okay The night before The second effect Of the invasion Is their gates were open Notice in verse 6 The gates of the rivers were open, And the palace sways back and forth Okay um, Nineveh Which is incredible Because Assyria is in a desert They were able to channel in a river The Koshar River as they call it, it So much powerfully That they were able to navigate it To go into the city And also even have moats Okay for, for that And the moats Were even um, You know Were, were pretty wide also as well and they also would have the water go in near the palace area near the palace area to be able to to have water gardens and everything else so this is indicating here that the gates were open where it says the gates of the rivers are open and the palace sways back and forth the waters around there and this here describes the i think verse six here actually describes the actual demise of the city and i think it's so incredible that this is a city the mightiest city of the world at the time is describing destruction with just nine words. right? As one of the commentaries noted, with just nine words, describe this mighty city that has never, their military has not known defeat for over a hundred years. And here suddenly is what? They have met their demise. Not just a a defeat, but the defeat of its heart, its center, Nineveh itself. The gates are open. Is the effect in verse 6. Then there's a third effect. That is, I think, in verses seven, I think this is indicating that their main goddess, Ishtar, is taken. Because verse seven seems kind of cryptic. It says, "It is set. She is stripped. She is led away, and her slave women are sobbing like the sound of doves beating their breasts." I think what's indicating here is their idol, Ishtar, is being taken away, and often among these temples, they're often what slaves of uh, um of those who were. Women and sometimes even temple prostitutes, and here we see that all of this is taken away, okay, um, from them. And then their fourth effect is in verses eight, and that is the people f- fled. Okay, it says, "Though Nineveh was like a pool of water throughout her days, yet they are fleeing." Stop, stop! But no one turns them back. Okay, they're fleeing, and I think this actually is what literally did happen. God, by His grace, He did not wipe out all Assyrians. Because today there are people that are ethnic what? Assyrians. Most of them are cultural Christians today in the sense that they go to Assyrian orthodox, like culturally for thousands of years. That's what they are. Which kind of fulfills a prophecy that while Nineveh was destroyed and actually Nineveh was not found for for thousands of years until modern archaeologists have discovered it, right? Here we see Nevertheless, God spared the people. So even in this, I want to make this clear. Even in this midst of judgment, God was still gracious. He did not wipe out the whole people in this instance. He allowed certain people to still flee, as it says in verses eight. Okay. There's another effect in verse nine that they were plundered. Okay? That they were plundered. It says plunder their silver, plunder gold, for there's no end to their treasure, well from every kind of desirable object. And they would often collect All these souvenirs of the people they've conquered, right? Get their idols and everything else and and their gold and their um, riches and their material prosperity and bring it over. And here they themselves are being plundered. In verses 10, it also mentioned the city. the, The sixth effect in verse 10 is that Nineveh would be abandoned. It says, She is empty. She is desolate and waste. Hearts are melting, knees wobbling. Also trembling is the entire body. And all their faces have become pale. So we see here that they were abandoned. Uh, Nineveh would be abandoned. Um, I think God has made certain prophecies of certain places where He might judge, but then He allows the city to still remain. But in this instance, they will be no more. They would be abandoned. Okay? What is this as application we see is, you know, I think it should boost our faith that when God says certain things, we could trust His Word. Because His Word. Is fulfilled, and if God's word, if there's a certain part, you might say, "Oh, it's not fulfilled yet." Make, be, know this for sure: it will be fulfilled because with all these description and all its detail, fulfilled to the T, this should boost our faith, and we should be comforted that our God is a God that fulfills His word. And one last point: I know um, I'm pressing for time. Um, point number three is we need to know. Uh, point number three: we need to know the blessing for Judah with Nineveh's fall. If you look at verses two, the purpose of all this, why do we need to know this? I don't know necessarily like Nahum was like the book of Jonah. Jonah went actually to the people and told those four nation, right, Nineveh to repent, right? But with this book of Nahum, it doesn't seem we could know for sure that Nahum ever sent this. And you might say if this is mainly primarily for our audience from those in Judah, what is it there for? Is actually for comfort and encouragement. So we need to know point number three: the blessing for Judah with Nineveh's fall. Look at verse three, because God removed the Assyrian, who's been a menace and a powerful dark shadow all throughout the ancient Near East at that time period. Because his removal, therefore, God could begin blessing what Judah again. In fact, this blessing was not just for Judah, as one of the tribe that somehow remained, because Israel, the upper ten tribe, were taken away. The Syrians here. Notice in verse two, it says, "The Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob." He's not just saying, "Hey, you will be restored." He wants to restore all twelve tribes, the whole people of God. It says, "The splendor, I, uh, the Lord will restore." Like the splendor of Israel, even though destroyers have laid waste to them and ruined their um, vines. He's saying, "Yes, you know, God has destroyed, but God also will restore." And by the way, did God restore those other tribes? Because Israel, later on, there will be people that will go back to Israel after the Syrian and Babylonian captivity. But was it, did God restore them because they were so righteous on their own good righteousness? No, it's surely by God's grace. But it begins with this, by God's judgment of the nation of Assyria. Geopolitically, you could say, okay, of course, they're gone, therefore they could bring back the nation. But another way you could see this is also, even with this, God knows how to judge. He keeps His promise He will judge. The wicked, and God also knows how to fulfill His promise. For those who would trust in Him, He will restore. Again, is it by our own good works? Because we are righteous somehow, we qualify? No, it's surely by God's grace. And the means we access that grace is by faith. While faith could be described as a virtue because we commend those who have faith, but nevertheless, when He saves us, God didn't look at our faith and says, Oh, you're righteous, that's for... No, He sees this as a means to access Christ's righteousness with this and therefore this is why we are restored i like when we look at this god if you look at this message you might say jimmy it's very uneven because these two of the three points is just only one verse and in the longest part for point two is verses three to ten and i'm doing this because we want to reflect the text again let me make this clear the book of nahum is not trying to emphasize nationalism that somehow israel is so awesome is why god is doing this the emphasis is really because God is an avenging God. God is an avenging God. The emphasis is not on even on the pride or the prestige of Judah because Judah is just only given one verse to say, you know what, and it's not even focused on Judah. It's saying all of Israel is being brought. The focus is on the fact it is when we even are saved and when we are even saved from our enemies, the biggest focus should be not on us being delivered, not on even on us in a narcissistic way, but it's focused on God. We need to be God-centered. And we need to see God's grace and also even God's judgment. But for those of us who are being saved, when when we are one of His, we also have the heartbeat like God that we should learn to hate evil as God hates evil and love what is holy as God loves holy. And therefore, we should be comforted to see that God is able to save and also able to judge.